When Laura was 11, she became a little obsessed with a certain celebrity, and she wrote about him in her diary. Dear diary, something strange has happened. Jim Carrey, the actor who is in The Mask, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and The Mask too, <laughs> somehow has changed my life. <laughs> I cry thinking I will never meet him. I don't need to be his wife. I know he's too old for me. I just want to be his adopted daughter. That's Laura reading from the diary she kept when she was 11. And this, well, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is exactly what it sounds like. Courageous adults get on stage in front of a room full of strangers to read their weird and wonderful childhood and teenage writing. This time, recorded live at the Gladstone Hotel Ballroom in Toronto, we have a catalogue of classmates, an 11-year-old's analysis of the Gulf War, and the single most intense love letter I have ever heard. This stuff is a window into who we used to be, but it can also help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Trend Micro. At CDW, we get that patch-together security can leave gaps in protection. I patch things together all the time, like this broken desk chair. Some duct tape, good as new. Orchestrated by CDW, Trend Micro Cloud One provides unified protection and better visibility across cloud services. It's all-in-one cloud security that can hold its own. Okay. Want to buy some gently used office furniture? No, thanks. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash trendmicro. A minute ago, we heard from Laura, who wanted to be Jim Carrey's adopted daughter. Well, that was not the only diary entry Laura shared. She also brought along a series of entries that chronicle her very first breakup. Once again, here's Laura, live on stage in Toronto. Dear Diary, 6.26 p.m., Wednesday, November 4th. Tim is coming over, but I'm pretty sure he's going to dump me. He said he wants to go for a walk. Dear Diary, 7.05 p.m., same day. He dumped me. (laughs) Then in the margin, I drew a circle and wrote, there's a tear on the page right here. (laughs) Dear Diary, 10.21 p.m., same night, all caps. Okay, I'm ready to give details now. Here's how the conversation went. Tim, well, I guess I've got to talk to you. Me, yeah, brackets, understanding. (laughs) Tim, that doesn't sound too good, and I guess it's not. I guess I'm breaking up with you, if you hadn't already guessed. Me, yeah, I expected it. Tim, yeah, and I know you probably want to know why, right? Me, no, I don't need reasons. (laughs) Tim, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's It's not because of you. It's just not a good time for commitment right now. Brackets, I nodded, very in control of myself for now. All the songs on the radio now have so much meaning. (laughs) And they all seem to be talking about me. Dear Diary, On Monday night, this idea came to me about how having your boyfriend break up with you is like being on the Titanic. (laughs) 
Your ex is getting away safe on a lifeboat, and you know he'll be fine. His life will just go on. (laughs) But he leaves you stranded with no one to turn to. The hours you spend waiting for it all to sink, underlined, in... All you wish is that you were on the lifeboat with him, praying that your life won't end there, that you'll get a second chance. You'd give anything for your life for him, and you realize that money can't get you anywhere. It won't make you happy. You're left with the loneliness of hope, only dreaming for a miracle. Your screams are unanswered, and there is water all around, so your tears go unnoticed. (laughs) What will it take to rid the painful memories and the suffering? Eventually, the answer comes to you. Death. (laughs) Our next reader, Robin, brought along a selection of writing that spans almost half a decade and includes both poetry and prose. But the common theme throughout all of it is her mom, Reading a few journal entries and then a poem, here's Robin. Monday, April 17th, 2000, age 11. Dear Diary, Mom told me that when a boy likes you, they act stupid around you. I'll have to watch for that. (laughs) She asked me if I liked anyone. I had to lie and say I didn't. I know Jared likes me. He's nice and all, but I just don't think I like him that much. I think I like Sean because he's very sweet. Lee, who I liked only months ago, is actually a rude, inconsiderate jerk. I really hope Sean likes me, too. October 16th, 2003. Sunday, we had Thanksgiving. It was my first one without turkey. My mom and my main dish was macaroni and cheese. My mom had a little too much to drink and stayed up too late. (laughs) Therefore, when she was going to bed, she started saying stuff like, Don't date jocks. They're jerks. Date artsy guys. It was kind of funny. November 14th, 2003. My mom always said MSN was the devil. (laughs) July 14th, 2004. By the end of the summer, I think I'll be gaining $10. My mom bet me 10 bucks that I would fall in love this summer, but with Lewis enthralled by Lisa, it's not looking so good. (laughs) September 1st, 2004. Oh yeah, I got my money from the bet with my mom. There were no summer romances for me with a big, fat, unfortunately. (laughs) And this is the poem that I wrote. uh, It's called, about things that I learned from my mom, called Life Lessons. Don't go out with jocks. They're terribly vain. There's nothing as crazy as being totally sane. Being the one who gets all the guys doesn't mean when you're older you'll be all that wise. Positive thinking goes a long way, but don't worry too much if you had a bad day. Be there to account for mistakes that you've made and be prepared to stand up to the rules that are laid. When you've found that one guy you love more than life, make sure that you're sure before becoming his wife. <laughs> Look at his parents. I know it sounds crazy. He'll end up like them, mean, drunk, and lazy. <laughs> Don't, settle <laughs> Don't settle down with three kids and a man. Not when you're young. Do as much as you can. Travel the world and make lots of friends and learn about money, what to save, what to spend. No one's more important in the long run than you, so be sure that you do what you want to do. Do all that you can to succeed in your eyes 
even if it takes a million tries. These are the lessons I've learned as of yet. There's more to be learned, I'd be willing to bet. There is far, far more that remains to be seen, but I'll take my time, for I'm only 16. <laughs> One of the things I love about this kind of writing is how frank kids can be and how open and honest and just completely unvarnished their writing is. Sometimes that comes across as sweet or naive, but as we learned from our next reader, Alan, it can also come across as a little bit cruel. Here's Alan reading from a selection of things he wrote between grades three and six, starting with a letter. Wednesday, January 20th. 1965. Dear Tom, please do not come to play with me on Saturday and Sunday. Your friend, (laughs) Alan. (laughs) Around the time that Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, was elected, we were asked to write political speeches. This is from June 1968, AD, it says. If I, Alan Cantor, is elected, I will see that there are shorter school hours and the teacher's salary will be cut down to half the, they get now. <laughs> Furthermore, your income will be raised 93%. The teachers will have to work 16 hours a day. I will take care of race riots and other racial discrimination. So you see, I will be your best bet as your seat in Ottawa. (laughs) Finally, when I was in grade six at Cedarville Public School, I made a book where I described in just a sentence or two the personalities of everyone in my grade six class. (laughs) I've changed the names to protect the innocent. (laughs) Margaret, a lender of pens when you lose yours, or yours goes out of ink. (laughs) Bernice, big and annoying. (laughs) Evelyn, pimple on face. (laughs) Patricia, a fat thing who could probably break a diamond brick if she sat on one. And here's describing uh, the uh, Ryan, the boy I most admired. He's the type that considers himself great. He's best in flirting. (laughs) When I met Alan earlier tonight, I did not know he was a mean girl. At Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids, we hear a lot of diary entries. And I think part of what can make them so interesting is how personal they are. Diaries are intimate, they're confessional, and often they're secret. But one thing that I still can't quite figure out about diaries 
is who exactly we're writing them to when we write Dear Diary. Who is that? And why do so many people confide in an inanimate object? Our next reader, Sue, brought along the diary she kept when she was 11. And what I love about this is how Sue's writing delves very deeply into that diary-diarist relationship. For instance, Sue starts off by playing a trick on her diary. April 1st, 1991. I'm going to throw you in the fireplace, diary. Just kidding. (laughs) Happy April Fool's. (laughs) June 11th. Tonight, the show, one of my favorites, was on the TV. And my mom said, when you finish that up, can you help me making strawberry jam? And I said, I can help you on the commercials. (laughs) So then she just said, forget it, just go to bed. So she got all crabby and said, now you go upstairs and why don't you write in that little book of yours? (laughs) She meant you, diary. And tell it all about how awful your mom is. So I'm writing in the dark now. Sometimes you're more of a mother than mom. (laughs) January 16th, 1991. There's a war going on between a country called Iraq... And the leader of that is Saddam Hussein. The United Nations is fighting against them because Saddam wants to take over a country called Kuwait. (laughs) They've given them until midnight on January 15th to back away and not take over the country or we'll start attacking. The first bomb was dropped tonight at 7 p.m. I hate wars. Everyone is against Iraq. I hope it ends soon. Big picture of a peace sign. P.S. For my birthday, Stephanie got me a sweatshirt with my nickname on. (laughs) June 6, 1991. (laughs) Good night, diary. P.S. My friends and I have a secret language, and I might tell you about it. June 6, 1991. Okay, I'll tell you my secret (laughs) language. This is how you say the language. Every consonant, you add op onto it, and every vowel, you just say the vowel. <laughs> so the word Susan would be, sop you sop a nop. <laughs> you have to spell the words. It takes a long time. <laughs> but it's really fun and very mysterious. <laughs> All right. Uh, Today is Christmas. I just celebrated. I got uh, some things. A digital alarm clock, Christmas 1991. A gumball machine. Socks. Leotards. A new Walkman. Little gadgets and gizmos. And more. But I also got a new diary. It's not as good as this one, but it is a diary. I'll miss you, but you just don't have much space left. (laughs) March 15th, 
Well, diary, here's the last page. I will miss you so much. You were the best diary ever. Goodbye, sweet diary. Goodbye. P.S. I'm still not talking to Justin. I hate him. Sue's Diary is the only place where the Gulf War and a sweatshirt get equal billing. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Whether it's a family pet that you loved or the neighbor's dog that terrified you, kids have very strong feelings towards and about the animals in their lives. And our next reader, Tracy, brought along evidence of just that. When she was 16, Tracy had to write a personal essay for a correspondence course, so she decided to write all about her childhood pet, a cat named Cuddles. She was a dark, striped, long-haired tabby, and I loved her more than I'll ever love another animal. She loved me, too. I met her on a stormy February 14th and considered her my Valentine's gift. I think she thought I was her mother. She was real little, and I had to nurse her with an iodine cap. There could never possibly have been more affection between a person and an animal than there was between us. Every time I whistled, she would come running and put her paws all the way around my neck. Time went by. After her fourth year of captivity, Cuddles decided (laughs) it was time she ventured out into the great outdoors. It was the way that she had her first love affair. He was a big, I mean big, gray Persian. Those two little kittens were the most adorable creations of God. One was the splitting image of cuddles, the other resembled the father. I can still recall the night of their birth. I was watching a carry-on movie and laughing hysterically when cuddles came up to me and meowed. She looked at me so trusting and lovingly that it touched my heart. She had her little babies right on my lap, right then and there. It was one of the most memorable experiences when I watched the little wet foot stick out and finally saw her caress the tiny angels with her tongue. It was two years later that Cuddles and I parted. She once too often crossed the outer edge of our eighth-story apartment. It was raining, and I watched her try to walk across the tiny ledge with each step uh, forward. Her paws get a little wetter. I dared not move for fear of frightening her. She stopped and looked over and I knew it was all over. She slipped, scrambled desperately and fell. I buried my face in my hands and screamed. It was t- I was too shocked to move. When she was brought upstairs, I laid her on a cushion. She was dazed. Her hind legs were absolutely crushed. Every possible bone was broken. It was really strange. I can remember patting her and hearing her purring. 
the veterinary said it would be the kindest thing to put her down and she would never be the same again. I could not give consent, so it was done for me. Even now, as I recall that time, tears are in my eyes, as I know there can never be another cuddles. Backstage after the show, Tracy told me a bit more about that day and what she would say to her younger self if she could go back. I still have dreams about that. I still have dreams about um, cats falling off balconies and things like that. It is a trauma. trauma. And I think maybe saying it out loud tonight's a good thing. It's, those things stay with you. So what would I say to that girl? It's not your fault. You know, it's not your fault. I was a kid. Thanks very much for sharing. Yeah. You're welcome. One of the things that often impresses me about this kind of writing is the conviction with which it's written. When kids feel strongly about something, they feel strongly about something. And when our next reader, Michal, was in grade seven, she was a strict vegetarian. And when those beliefs were put to the test, she pushed back hard. Here's Michal, live on stage in Toronto, reading a letter she wrote to her music teacher. Dear Mara Ken, I know that I have the deerskin drum, and I know you know I have the deerskin drum. (laughs) I would like to let you know, I've told you this already, but I am a vegetarian. I've been one for approximately one year and three months and 26 days. I'm also an animal rights activist slash environmentalist slash human rights activist in the making. I refuse to eat slash wear animals or play an instrument made out of them, and there's no way you can make me beat a deer. I know, it's dead, but is that how we respect the deceased? Do we take our dead grandfathers and beat them? I don't think so. That deer was a dead grandparent, too. Maybe not to a human, but to somebody. As an animal rights activist, slash environmentalist, slash human rights activist, I won't hit something dead or alive. I hope you take my letter into consideration, because I won't touch that poor, poor deer killed for music. I don't see a drum. I see a deer crying to me for help. (laughs) Sincerely, Michal Stein, 7A. P.S. My parents have approved this letter. I know that you're wondering, and no, Michal is no longer a vegetarian, though she remained one up until she was 21 which is nine years, nine months, and 12 days, give or take. Michal was not the only reader at our Toronto show who expressed strong feelings using strong words. When our next reader, Dave, was 17, 
he wrote a love letter to a girl he spent two summers with at camp. Now, a quick heads up, Dave's love letter does include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. It also acknowledges the existence of sex and the existence of drugs. Okay, there's your heads up. Here's Dave. Dear Julia, before I begin, I want you to know that nothing you've done brought on what I'm about to say. It's obvious by now that you know how much I love and care for you. You don't know this, but you're the world to me. Not a day goes by when I'm not thinking about you constantly. I don't even know exactly what it is that brought on this crazy adoration for you, but whatever it was, it worked. This isn't another one of those love letters. It's more of a way for me to be able to live my life normally rather than always upset and crying because I can't be without you. Or because I can't be with you. Although I know our relationship has been fine and this may be coming out of nowhere, but I really can't continue to call you every day and pretend that I'm not happy with us just being friends because I'm not. I love you. I love absolutely everything about you. I love your smile. I love your eyes. I love hugging you. I love your sense of humor. I love how you deal with problems by saying, fuck it. I love... Yeah. I love your nose, ears, eyes, and mouth. I really can't get enough of you. This letter so far might seem a little too intense, but it... <laughs> But it's my only way of relieving this passion that I've had inside me for three years now. When we used to talk on the phone, and I always used to tell you I didn't want a long-distance relationship and I was cool with only seeing you once a month, well, all that was a load of shit. <laughs> I can't stand not seeing you, and every time I talk to you, it just makes it harder for me to deal. I can't even begin to tell you what you mean to me. If I had a choice, I wouldn't talk to you for as many years as it takes to get through high school and university and would be fine not ever even looking at another girl for as many years as I had to if I knew for certain that in the end of all this, I could be with you. There are times in life when you meet someone who you think is a person you want to marry and spend the rest of your life with, and unfortunately, you just happen to be the woman of mine. <laughs> the reason I get so upset over you and I cry isn't because I want to see you and I miss you. It's because I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and I know that can't happen. This summer at camp, I didn't care that you were with Mike because I knew in my heart that it wasn't going to last a lifetime. When you and I hooked up after going to the Peel Pub, it was the happiest moment in all my life. The night before when I couldn't get it up. <laughs> Unbelievable. The night before when I couldn't get it up, it wasn't because I was tired and stoned. It was because I was so happy and in love that I, was thinking, I wasn't even thinking about sex. I was thinking that I was kissing you and that's really all I needed to be happy. <laughs> kissing you is like heaven on earth. I can't even begin to tell you how it made me feel. If you had offered a blowjob that night, I wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> because I love you too much to make you do something like that. Yeah. What? What? Some girls, some girls do it because they love to, and others because they want to please the guy. But honestly, and I'm telling you, honestly, kissing you is enough to make me happy for the next however many years it takes until I can kiss you again. Unbelievable. When we, when we were at Sarah's house, the second night I was holding you in my arms and we were sitting on the floor, there was a point while fooling around that I opened my eyes and looked up at you, and I swear I could have started crying right then and there because of how happy I was to be holding you. Julia, in my eyes, you are the coolest, most beautiful girl in the world, and I really don't think anything could ever take my mind away from you. I'm crazy, absolutely crazy about you. That night I told you Jeff was coming to pick me up, that was a lie. I lied because I was so happy after being with you that walking home from Sarah's was nothing. I practically skipped home and got... 
And God knows I live far from her. That was by far the best night of my life, and until I hook up with you again, nothing will ever be the same and feel as good as it did that night walking home. At first, I decided that the only way for me to be relaxed about us was to not call you and hope that eventually I would get over you, but I value our friendship more than any one of my best friends, and I can't not talk to you. My problem is that every time we talk, it makes me think about you nonstop until the next time we talk. I'm also having very mixed feelings about you and other guys, because... <laughs> Because I know we're not together, and I know there will always be other guys, but when I picture you with someone else, I get butterflies in my stomach. Like you went to, when you went to stay with Mike for the football game, I could hardly sleep until I smoked a joint to forget about everything. <laughs> not because I knew you were going to hook up with him, but what if, you know? I don't want to stop writing because even a Torah isn't enough words to describe how much I love you. Torah. <laughs> And my biggest problem is that I know you love me also, but you really could have never had the same feelings for me as I do for you. People keep telling me to get over you and to move on because we live in different places and it'll never happen. But I'm writing you this letter because maybe we won't be together now, but deep down in my heart, you're the only girl in the world for me, and I have the feeling we'll be together when we're older. I know what I'm saying might be a little crazy and far-fetched, but I love you and no amount of time could ever take that love away from me. I've never felt like this way, this way about anyone in my entire life. You're the shit in my world and it's not going anywhere. I love you more than anything, and I can't stop typing because I don't think I could ever truly show you how I feel. But I think this has done a satisfactory job. <laughs> Julia, I love you in every sense of the word, and I really don't think anyone could ever love you the way I do. I just want you to know that I will always love you, and nothing will ever take that away. So look me up in 10 years and just know that even then, I will love you more than ever. I love you with all my heart and soul, and I feel like nothing without you. If any guy you ever date in life ever puts you down or pisses you off, don't stay with him because it would piss me off to know that the nicest, sweetest, coolest, most beautiful girl in the world is being treated like shit. My number is 7589.5. Remember it, please, because any time in life you need love or someone to care for you, call because I want you to know I always will. I can't write anymore because I can't stand thinking about you. Just know in big bold that David Keystone does and always will love Julia, love always and forever. Keystone, P.S. I didn't write this letter to upset you in any way, shape, or form. I just had to let you know how I feel. I'm sorry for making it so personal, but that's what true love will do to a person. Do you have advice? from the future for 17-year-old Dave? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I was such a wuss back then. I was so scared of women that I just want to let them know I'm so into them. I didn't know how to pursue that and make it work. I just want to tell them how I feel and hope it all worked out. So I think I'd probably tell them just calm down, take a deep breath, tell her you're interested, and just become a friend rather than just torpedoing this interest at her. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Gladstone Hotel Ballroom in Toronto. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And if all of this sounds like fun to you, we would love for you to be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids show. To find out when we're coming to your town for a live event, sign up for the mailing list. That's at grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Or just look at the show notes for this episode right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Listener.